Seven Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, what's going on, man? Uh, Not a lot. We uh, decided to bring a guest on for this one last minute, Max, which is exciting for both of us. Always good to be back, albeit a very different week this week than what we had last week, I think, to talk about. It was. So we had to bring on the king of negativity for our guest. Uh, he's joining us for, I don't know, the 47th time. Uh, he is the local radio star, Kellen Olson. Kellen, welcome once again. What's up? This was fun. You guys accidentally DM'd me. You were starting the podcast and then you were like, well, you can come on whenever you want. And I was like, I can come on right now if you want. I don't care. Anybody out there with a fledgling podcast, Kellen's very available. Just DM <laughs> Yeah, soups available. Just accidentally, accidentally DM Send a DM with uh, not only a request for your podcast appearance, but also a health update on some players who are out. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was... That was real fun when everyone was like joking and still doing. Now everyone's gonna do the joke the whole year, and it's it was just a really weak moment of my week where I just like w- had to rant on Twitter for five seconds, and it's gonna cost me. Well, uh, so at least we have a lot of positivity to talk about on this episode, Kellen, to wake you up. <laughs> uh, we're gonna get into the Suns' recent injury plague struggles, how concerned we are about the big man rotation, the guards without Rubio, and the overall depth. Uh, we'll then somehow try to figure out how to give our leaderboards for the past week. Uh, we still have to do it. Yeah, that's every week. <laughs> and then uh, after Did You Know, we'll jump right back into the West playoff race again, David. We weren't planning on doing this every week, but, uh, you know, things changed a lot since the last episode. There have been some seismic changes in the West. But before we do any of it, David, how about a recap? For sure. I'm excited to talk about what we can maybe fix with this team, Max. But we're currently sitting at 7-7 seven and seven after 14 games. And before I roll through the rest of it, I'll throw it both of you. Uh, Max, you first. Would you have taken 7-7 seven and seven before the season started with everything that you know now? No question, especially with the schedule. Kellen? Absolutely. Yeah, just a bit of perspective there. I think it's uh, it's tough after starting so hot, but uh, we're still in it here at 500. But, you know, this episode might not be out till probably after the Minnesota game. Few people listening may have already also seen the back-to-back Denver game as well. But a rough week nonetheless with three losses in a row and all the injuries that came uh, along the way there too, Max. So 85-99 loss to Boston. Booker had 20. Ubre 15. Saric 9 and 10. And Baines had 9, 6 and 5. The 116-120 loss to Sacramento. Booker had 30. Ubre 20. Mikhail had 20. And Cam had 18. Both highs for those two young guys, I believe. And then the 121-124 loss to New Orleans. Book had 19. 
Ubre top scored with 25. Cam and Frank both had 14, I believe. And Max, we are third in the division. And I'll start throwing in some other information here as we go through. I believe just half a game clear of Sacramento, who's playing right now. We are still holding on to eighth in the Western Conference. Uh, again, ahead of Sacramento. And now only one and a half games clear of New Orleans, who we might get into a bit later, as you mentioned at the end of the episode. And still above average in the NBA, 14th right now, Max. We are sitting in the whole league. Okay, so that's not so bad. We're above average, guys. Okay. <laughs> uh, so let's get into a little bit of what's wrong with the Sun so far, uh, the past three games. And, you know, talk about how we're going to fix it, you know, with an eye towards the fact that we're playing Minnesota, Denver, Washington, and then some Slovenian kid. After that, I think. <laughs> Who? Uh, let's start. We'll start. Yeah. We'll start with Kellen. Uh, we're going to start with the big man rotation. I think a lot of us view this as the primary problem with the team right now, given that, you know, DeAndre Ayton suspended and Aaron Baines has been out. Kellen, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your concernometer out uh, about this, uh, both long term and then also kind of wow, it's happening? Oh, it, the way you phrase it at the end is really hard because. It's like at a 9.5 right now, but it'll be fine once Baines comes back. I think it'll be relatively okay. Mm. And then I think it'll be even more, like, it won't be a problem at all when Eaton's there. Like, they're just going to have really good minutes at the position consistently. Um, but right now, I'm really concerned. I think the, th the thing I keep thinking about is in the Portland game when Kaminsky and Sarge played together for little stretches, and I was like, ooh, this is really fun. <laughs> and then... Now we're getting it starting games, and I'm like, I hate myself. This is miserable. <laughs> um, it, you just can't play t more than 10 minutes as with Frank Kaminsky as your rim protector and win games. It's it's really, really hard to. You saw New Orleans. I tweeted this out. They had 12 points in the paint in the first 430 of that game, and a lot of it was just going straight at him. And even at points where, like, Drew Holiday was just finishing through him, mm -hmm. and Drew Holiday is, like, five, seven inches shorter than him or whatever. Um, and he's got obvious weight advantages there and stuff, but we've just seen like his lack of athleticism burns and Gambo on 98.7. I've been really talking about that and just surprised at how slow he moves on like explosive movements for other guys. So I just think that he has really hampered their rotation because of what they need him to do. But I, I think the crazy thing is if he just hits shots, it would be okay, but he, he's not hitting shots either. And that, that's really concerning. How, how do you guys feel about Dario? Cause that's, I'm split on him right now. I'm not sure how to feel. David, let you take that. Uh, I love that you threw split in there with the Croatian connection with mm. Dario Saric. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, Max and I have talked about him a, a little bit on the pod. He's kind of filling all the blanks when the Suns are playing really well, but he, he kind of stands out like a sore thumb when things aren't going right. And yeah, I, I was with you. I thought Frank and Dario... Uh, as a kind of one-two punch against reserve units was, was, you know, they had some pretty good chemistry going and, and they could, if they can hit shots, things look pretty good. But yeah, when you're throwing it out there as the starting lineup, uh, it, it's a little bit more of a concern and teams have really been attacking him. I mean, with Baines out, I think our points in the paint hasn't really been good uh, in general. I think for November overall, we're pretty much last in the league and in the last three games, they've given up pretty much what they have been all along as well. And uh, Baines has, has been good communication-wise, keeping everyone on, on a bit of a chain. But um, I think with him out, 
uh, and the the lack of athleticism, as you say, on top of that, they've just been really exploited around the rim. I'm not sure what the numbers are and what teams are actually finishing percentage-wise in there, but it just seems like a walking bucket every single time, Max. But uh, I'm probably the least concerned of all the things we're going to touch on long-term. As Callan said, I think when Aiton's back, we've got another 12 games or so to go. Uh, and I don't think this Baines injury is going to be something that kind of hampers him long term. You know, he was warming up yesterday, so he's clearly not too far away. He traveled with the team this morning, so we'll hopefully see him by the time this pod's out. So, yeah, longer term, I, I'm not uh, concerned at all. Short term, it's going to hurt a little bit. And probably on the Frank discussion, I'm not really sure what happens to his minutes when, when Aiton and Baines are back and are that kind of one-two center combo because I could see a position where he finds himself like Javon Carter essentially out of the rotation, Max. Well, what's interesting is that in game one, unless I'm misremembering this, I don't think I am because I was there. Frank was the first sub, right? When Aiton and Baines were both in the team. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. So I I think Frank, and listen, I was among the chief haters of Frank last night. I tweeted like three things like hating on him. Um, he's just out of his role right now. He can't play in a starting center role. It's ridiculous. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dario, I'll touch on him because uh, Kellen brought him up. Like David said, he sticks out like a sore thumb when things are going badly because he just he looks so awkward. That when things go wrongly, like it's very fun to blame him because he's just easy to blame. Like some of his like misses layups last night were just they're embarrassing, and I think that'll probably correct itself a little bit. It'll regress, you know, positively somewhat. I don't think he's a great finisher on the rim, but I don't think he's gonna miss every single layup. Mm-hmm. And I think that just it's kind of a compounding factor. The two of them together, Frank and Sarge, they're just they're kind of similar. I, I find them to be actually incredibly similar players. Uh, Sarge is a little bit better defensively, probably. Uh, Frank, I thought was better than the post, but he's starting to prove me along lately on that. <laughs> um, so the, when the two of them are playing and they're both screwing up together, it, it compounds on itself. Like I said, uh, I agree with both of you though. I think right now it's like a ten out of ten concern if this continues. Like if, if for the rest of the season this was our center rotation, we'd be screwed. <laughs> um, but it's not going to be that way. Baines will come back soon. Aiton's definitely uh, going to come back. <sighs> so you know. Oh wait, Kellen, is that a, is that a groan of maybe Baines is not coming back soon? Beans is out uh, tomorrow, Saturday. I just got the email. That was just reported? Yeah. Oh, well, well, Minnesota doesn't have any good centers, do they, Kellen? <laughs> uh, yes, they do have a good center. It's very good. <laughs> we might play Chuck Diallo tomorrow. I, I use the we there. I'm in the spirit of the podcast. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to audible here, Kellen. Do we start, should we start Chuck Diallo tomorrow? Uh, yes, I think we should. But David, talk about why. I, I, need, I need tweet things. <laughs> That's fair. All right. Yeah, I mean... The, the athleticism, we touched on it before, you know, Frank's been exploited both on the inside and outside defensively, Max. So uh, coming up against Carl Towns, uh, we're going to get into it a little bit later with Aiton as well around the teams that are coming up. This is one of the matchups and unfortunately the one directly after where uh, against Denver, they're going to have kind of nightmare problems at the big position. So uh, hopefully Baines is back for that one against Jokic because he defended him pretty well last time they played. I not sure why he would go on the road, the mini road trip if he's not going to play one of the two games, but maybe I'm being a little bit hopeful there, Max. But um, yeah, it's going to be a tricky one. I think the way Diallo played last night, you're definitely going to have to give him minutes, whether that's at the starting position or not. 
I'm not too sure because I still feel uh, like I did last year that kind of offense is their best form of defense at the moment. And I think they probably want to try and come out shooting the lights out and, and that be their, their best chance of getting uh, Minnesota on, on the back heel. Yeah, so maybe the, the plan here is you, you start Frank and you start Sarge and you just hope they're hot from three yep. and they're just making shots. And if they're not, you you quickly hit the panic button and switch in Diallo and maybe you even start the second half with Diallo. Because, man... The way Minnesota is playing, if you can't at least bother Carl Anthony Towns a little bit, you're going to be in trouble. Because Wiggins is playing so well now, and, and this is something that we'll get into this maybe a bit later about you know Booker not having like a second star to distract from him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Minnesota kind of does right now. I don't know if Wiggins is going to keep this up, but if he does, it's, it's really hard to defend a team like that when, when you have a Cat and a Wiggins together. Uh, so I'm now that we know Baines is out, very very concerned about this game. Maybe this will sound stupid. Maybe we'll win by thirty tomorrow, but uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll give Kellen a little bit more of a reprieve, David. I'll get your thoughts on one thing. I want to throw in some nuggets of positivity on this podcast because I know that we're going to have a lot of negativity, probably, <laughs> given the last three games. I was just thinking this morning about the the Booker Aiton pick and roll from yep. the the first game against Sacramento and how unstoppable it looked. Mm-hmm. And I just want to get your thoughts on this. Like, they don't have anything like a bread and butter go to offensive set. Even we, you know, when they were winning games with Baines and Rubio all active. And I think maybe we're underestimating how much that'll matter once Aiden comes back. Just the fact that you can have a Booker Aiden pick and roll in your repertoire when when things aren't going well, you can just go to that. Do you think that's been sort of an underlooked element of of you know even when the Suns have been good so far this season? Yeah, I mean, we talked about how impressive it was that after one game, that kind of audible, they they really had to mix things up and find the best way mm-hmm. uh, with Baines in the starting lineup to play good basketball. They did that pretty quickly, um, which was surprising. They'd obviously been working on it. I remember, you know, there was comments about Aiton playing with the second unit and stuff, so that they'd, they'd obviously had some reps doing that. But yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about. I tweeted about it during the week. I think Aiton in that first game kind of set the bar and set the tone uh, for what we should be expecting from him when he does come back. And a big part of that is going to be a, a massive part of the offense with Devin Booker when he's back. And, you know, that ties in with Baines. You know, it, i got to ask, you know, and hopefully we can get Callan's opinion on this too, Max. But, you know, if what you're saying is true, they can really build on that pick and roll. You know, the reason I said that Frank might fall out of the rotation altogether is we're seeing a lot more wing heavy Mm -hmm. lineups from Monty and he does have the quick pull on guys. So, you know, even if Frank does start uh, while Baines is out or is still in the rotation as a four when Aiton's back, I'm I don't think Monty's going to be afraid to, you know, mix it up if guys aren't playing well. I think we'll see a lot more of that uh, lineup that we talked about last week with Booker, Aiton, and and three wings out there essentially. But as I said, I got to ask because people keep talking about it, and Monty has been pretty funky and and willing to go with the best guys on the floor. So where do we sit now on the the Baines Aiton together stuff when everyone is hopefully back and healthy? Because I think you know the Suns have done a pretty good job keeping. Baines to around 24 minutes a night. That's still six more minutes than the most he's ever played in 2017 when he started 67 games for Boston. So not used to heavy minutes, but you probably still want him playing around 20 a night the way he started this season. And Aiton, once he's settled in, probably sits around 32, 34. So you're probably looking at five or six minutes that you kind of want to play them together. I've been pretty anti it, but I think we 
kind of have to think like Monty here about getting the best guys on the floor, Max. Kellen, are you ready to jump in, or do you want me to feel this one? Oh no, I'm I'm, I'm good. Uh, I'm dealing with the mentions being suicidal, but but I'm good. Uh, <laughs> so this is an important part to jump in and and give give my quick two cents on Dario. I think that he is a much more elevated version of Bender in that he is so much more useless when he's surrounded by incompetent players, but when you put him around competency, that's when he's going to shine because at at the heart of this, I would argue that he is one of the Suns' three best shooters, he is one of their three best passers, and he's one of their three best help defenders, which is help defense especially is so much more important for this team because mm-hmm. as Mike Prada highlighted earlier on and then everyone has been able to like being catch on more that, that don't catch those things like right away like I'm one of those people I need like 10 or 15 games on the team to like see stylistic stuff guys like Prada just spotted instantly mm-hmm. the help defense stuff is so much more important for them and, and Dario being pretty good at it he had a lot of moments in the New Orleans game even when guys were worse um where he's good, so so I think that that does matter when, when if you consider Baines and Aiden. I think the fact that Dario is an important part of this team because they need shooting, and he's one of the. I would say Booker and Cam are definitively better shooters than him, but I mean now you're talking Baines, Javon Carter, Tyler Johnson, Ubre, like Kaminsky, Mikel. I I think he's better than almost all of those guys as a shooter. Yeah, and and then passing. Obviously, there are the two guards up there. But then after that, I mean, Baines is in the argument again. But the, then it's probably just him. Um, I just think that he's he's such a good fulcrum for them. And and I think that Monty right now has been lessening his minutes by design because it's just this is not how he how you utilize him in in this sort of wing heavy inexperienced group. But when you get the veterans out there, that's when he's going to play well. And I'm just not sure Baines and Aiden together is by design taking away some of Dario's minutes is probably a bad idea, I think. I think he's still a really important piece for them, and I think it's actually shown through some of these games, despite him, uh, the, the bender groans is what I call them, but he has too many plays a game where uh, the crowd groans like whenever Dragon Bender did anything, and they're just so worried. They're like, oh, God. Mm-hmm. And he just has those air balls here and there, just really bad decisions. I think it was the... Either Sacramento or the New Orleans game. I think Sacramento, maybe Boston even, when he, remember he caught that offensive rebound at the elbow and he just took a follow-away jumper. It's like, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> yeah. Calm down. Yeah. Um, he has too many of those. And those are hurting him, but everything else uh, supporting cast-wise has been good. But maybe I'm overplaying this too much. Is it max for you? Is it more of what David said where you just got to simplify this and look, these are two your three or four best players and you need to play them together as much as possible? Here's what I'll say. I think we're not used to this as fans of a team that has not been, you know, have, has not had more than like two good players for the past five years. I think you just, you try everything, right? Why not just give Baines and Aiden some minutes together and see what the hell happens? If it's awesome, then maybe keep trying it. And I think that's one thing I've really liked about Monty so far is that he is not, you know, stubborn old NBA guy and needs to stick to typical rotations. Mm-hmm. In fact, he closed with Tyler Johnson, Booker, and the three wings last night, which was awesome. Yep. I don't care that we lost. That was incredible. It's that to me, listen, I, I'd rather lose and have our coach show that he's willing to do something like that than win and our coach is like stubborn asshole the whole time. So that, that's what I'll say about that. Like that's that's kind of rare in an NBA coach to do something like that that early. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, try it. I don't like it. I don't think it's going to work. I agree that Sarge it makes more sense with both of them. I think when you have a full lineup together, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to play uh, Aiton and Bane together. Not only because I don't like the idea of paying two fives together, but also because, you know, 
it's kind of like a different version of the Rubio Booker stagger argument. You kind of got to stagger those guys. You want those guys out all the time, one of them. <laughs> um, so I'm not a huge fan of it, but again, I'm, you know, we have 82 games. Let's experiment a little bit. Let's see what happens. It's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I just to finish on that, I, you know, I would still start Saric for sure. I agree with pretty much everything that that Callan said. I think he's super underappreciated for for all the little things that he does for the team, particularly uh, team and, and help defense. I think he's been very, very impressive there. So I, I am definitely not advocating for Baines and Aiton to start together. And I definitely think that the big strength of when hopefully both of those guys are back is that you do have one of them on the floor at, at all times. I'm probably more bouncing off what I alluded to before with Frank potentially not playing at all in some games where, where it's not making sense. And, and you just have maybe two small stretches, a half of, of three minutes or so, just to make sure you get Baines up to still around 20 minutes a night, which, you know, as I said, when he's playing this well, I think you have to get him on the court uh, for that much time. And, and you probably don't want it eating into Aiton's minutes too much. And I've been against it in the past, mainly from Aiton's development standpoint. I don't want that to happen. Uh, but Monty just doesn't take me as that kind of guy at the moment. Like he, he's just going to do what works best for the team right here, right now, Max. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say is we did not expect Aaron Baines to be shooting from three, the way he's shooting, which <laughs> does make the fit a little bit more tenable. But before we move on to the PG rotation without Rubio, I just want to read to you, David, and I want you to react to this tweet from Kellen Olsen. Both guys not even making it to questionable doesn't make you feel good about their chances of playing on Sunday either. Five losses in a row looming. Uh, you said it, Mr. Positivity on the podcast <laughs> right here, right now, Max. <laughs> looming, Kellen. I mean, can I say, like, what the fuck else am I supposed to say right now? Like, it's not looking that good right now. I'm going to let out my rare swear that I can do once a year on a podcast and just, like, <laughs> seriously, this is not fucking good at all. They really, really need both of these guys. And minute, I don't know if you guys – we'll talk about it later in the West. I don't, I've been watching a lot of the West teams. I think Minnesota is kind of good. They are They are kind of good, and we will get to that. You know, in fact, yo, you know, save that point because I have a thought on that. Yeah. Uh, let's move to the point guard rotation now. Uh, Rubio has been out for two of the last three games, and in the one game he played in, he was a shell of himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, same question. We'll start with you. How concerned are you, first of all, if you know this was an all-season-long thing, and second of all, if it were a uh, just you know just how it's going now? Yeah, I think you know on the Baines one, if I was a, a ten short term, but uh, you know one or two long term, like I essentially commented on. I think this one, I'm I'm a ten short term, and probably still quite high seven or eight on the meter, as you said, Max, in terms of of long term, just because you know he was a shell of inform- his former self when he tried to get out there against Sacramento and uh, was just not effective at all spasms can be a bitch you know we've seen it in the past with certain guys in the sun's uniform as well they can kind of come on randomly and and as we've seen in this little stretch it's pretty hard to adjust you know they did a great job of adjusting for to eight suspension after one game and throwing Baines in but when you've got a point guard like Ricky Rubio that you've decide you know designed your whole offense around I think it's it's pretty hard at random intervals to uh, adjust back to um, playing a, a different way. And people were quite hard on Booker after the New Orleans game in, in some of the turnovers that he made. I just don't think us as fans realize, and I think we've seen this in the Tyler Johnson criticism as well, 
how hard it is for these players to to kind of shift roles uh, on a dime and, and from game to game uh, be expected to do something completely different to what they've do, been doing previously. So yeah, Rubio's the engine. We've talked about it numerous times on this podcast, Max, and uh, him... Uh, and then, as we'll get into, I guess the backup options to him, both when he's playing and then when he's out, uh, are definitely a bigger concern for this team long term, I think. And, and Tiger Ohm is is the one guy that everyone's mentioning. But again, injury-wise, still seems quite a little way away. Callum might be able to update us on that one. Um, <laughs> but he's also another rookie. So how much can we really count on him to fix some of these problems that we're seeing, Max? So yeah, I think when you've built this offense that they've built, this is a, a far greater concern for, for both the short and long-term, Max. Kellen, uh, I want you to not only respond to the concern level of the point guard rotation, but also the your concern meter with Booker. I want, you to, I want you to give me that at the end. Uh, point guard rotation, short term, I'm at a nine and a half. Long term, I'm at like a six. Mm-hmm. Just just because I think that long term, my whole thing with this team, and we're going to get into it later, like I, I've picked them to make the playoffs the past week or so, and I'm still going to do it. I just think like the ball moving intangibles defense stuff has been too good, and like that's not all on the point guard. So I think even in those minutes where Carter or Okobo or Tyler Johnson's in there, whatever, as long as they play the like in the team manners they're supposed to, I think it'll be okay. Those guys haven't been particularly good, mm-hmm. but I don't think they necessarily need them to be good at their position. But uh, short term, it's a huge worry because what Monty said when I asked him, like, what do you want guys to do when they re- when they play in place of Ricky? And he's like, don't play like Ricky because no one can be Ricky. So now you have to completely change everything because you don't have – you prepare your offense for Ricky and you can't act like it's just the offense without Ricky because Ricky plays a specific way in that offense and that you can't ask other guys to do it. So now you're changing your style of play and it's just really apparent that they're going through that whole thing and that it's affecting Booker too. Uh, My concern for Book is at a one. It's going to remain at a one for a while. I'm (laughs) probably the highest guy on him out of anyone, which is pretty weird considering, again, Mr. Negative here, but (laughs) it would take a while for him to... It it would have to take a sustained run of struggling while his teammates are not injured and adequate, which, again, like literally has never happened. So (laughs) it's just like, (laughs) we'll, we'll get there. Hopefully we won't actually is what I mean. First of all, Callan, I will fight you over the uh, highest on Booker crown. Oh yeah. True, true, true. Uh, We can fight over that, but uh, no. So I, I generally agree with you guys. I'm a little bit less concerned about the current situation just because I kind of like what I've seen from a Kobo. He seems to be coming on a little bit. And I think that if a Kobo gets to play with Baines and Aiton rather than what he's playing with, maybe he gets to leave it a little bit better. I, I just he's really shown a whole different level of his game than I've ever seen him play yet before. And I and listen, it's a, it's a game and a half or so. Uh, I mean, it's kind of two games. Sacramento was was a decent amount of play, but uh, he made shots too. He's ever done that before, so you know I'm still concerned about it. But it's it's less than the big man thing, which I think is just an abject disaster without Baines and Aiton. But oh, but I agree with you guys. Long term, it's much more of a concern because first of all, I expect Rubio to you know be hurt more often. Then I expect Aiton and Baines to together be hurt. Yeah, and then uh, also uh, I, you know, I'm also the highest person in the world on Ty Jerome. He's not, <laughs> you know, from Virginia. Doesn't currently attend Virginia, so uh, I, I expect him to come in and help the guard situation quite a bit. And then the Booker thing. I mean, echo Kellen's comments. It's, it, I think it's absurd. And David, I'll let you comment on this after I'm done. Like, 
listen, Devin Booker is like he's the most efficient player in the league right now uh, at, at any kind of volume um, by a lot. He is, I guess, overpassing in a lot of Suns fans' opinions, which may be true, but a large part of that, I think, and I actually want to hear both of you guys' takes on this 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 idea. I, th- I think he's trying to set a culture here. He's buying into the whole Monty Williams, you know, half a second pass and shoot offense. He doesn't want to be the guy who dominates the ball all the time, and you know, he wants to actually, you know, have his teammates believe in him that he believes in them and that that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it looks a lot better when there's Rubio and Baines and Aiton, and it looks a lot worse when it's a bunch of guys who aren't that good playing too many minutes. But he's still gonna do it, and I think that's fine. And I think people think he can't take over games, but I was at the Philadelphia 76ers game, and he took over that game. So I think that's still in him. I don't know why any of us would not think that. So my my concern meter for Booker is, you know, it's negative. Uh, I think he's had his best season of his career so far, and I, I'm not sure why people are hating on a 23-year-old uh, who is, uh, I think, in my opinion, adapting to Monty Williams' system very well. David, what do you think? Yeah, I'm not concerned at all. Yeah, I remember, I think, last year where it was pointed out, I think he even commented in the media that he was essentially taking turnovers to, to throw the ball uh, where it was supposed to go mm-hmm. in Igor's offensive plays when guys weren't standing in the right spots. And I think what you've just said is very similar to that. You know, Monty was on TNT last night with Kristen Ledlow at the, the three-quarter time break. And, you know, they're three principles. They play hard, they play defense, and they share the ball. So uh, if your number one guy isn't adhering to that and playing a little bit of hero ball, uh, you know, how far are you going to go? So I think this is a sign of maturity from him. I get it. I get that there's people that would would like like him to flick the switch every now and then and, and be that Devin Booker that we know and that we saw in the Philadelphia game. But yeah, you're right. I think he is playing to the team rules because uh, he understands the, the greater good there. And, you know, they've slipped a little bit with Rubio out, uh, you know, second best in the league, I think, in terms of assists per game. Uh, you know, they dropped down to maybe 24 assists or something in the last three, but just a lot more side-by-side movement without Rubio kind of reminded me a lot of the offensive sets from from last year where they didn't have a point guard that could kind of penetrate a little bit more. And uh, yeah, they're just missing on, on some passes on drives and things without Rubio, which I think is the, you know, at least on the offensive end, the, the biggest um, missing piece when Rubio is not out there. And, and speaking of Devin Booker, he doesn't get some of those easy buckets that Rubio was getting him. He wasn't getting any of those early looks in the post and things. So yeah, I think that's pretty much all I have to say as far as the, the Devin Booker stuff's going. But I do have a question for you both if I can throw to that now, Max, if that's good with you. Sure. I think it was very noteworthy that Kellen before mentioned that he was still uh, thinking playoffs for this team, both to just balance out the the, the Mr. Positivity uh, that he keeps copying from people, but also because it uh, is partly to do with the question that I had for you both. So something I wanted to ask both of you, and I think the listeners to think about as well, with the, the Rubio uh, injury situation and who you start at point guard, if we do make the playoffs and it's game seven of the first round and Rubio can't go, Max... What's your starting lineup when there's a, a game on the line that the Suns have to win? <laughs> I want Kellen to go first. Kellen? DeAndre in at center. I just wanted to say that first. To like... <laughs> say it very loudly. It's better to get yelled at on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Devin Booker at, at, at a guard position. One of them. Uh, 
man. I just have to assume that Point Book is dead, right? We have to operate in that reality where like that's not a thing anymore because it's clearly not. Well, if if it's you, if you're you're the coach here, Kellen, and it's Game Seven. It's Game Seven. Yeah, we're we're pulling the uh, what was the homeboy's name on the Warrior staff who suggested Iguodala to start or whatever, and oh, Nick Urell or whatever. I remember his name, but yeah, okay. he was smart. Yeah. Urell Nick, the his <laughs> evil twin, is on the Suns coaching staff, and he just suggested <laughs> to go Point Book. So we're going Book. Oh man, is it weird that the next name I want to say is Cam? <laughs> not at all. No, it's not. Uh, I'm gonna go Dario at the four. So now I got Book at point, and then Aiden. I got two wing spots to fill. Oh, Kelly, duh. Not good that I forgot about Kelly that long. By the way. <laughs> uh, and then Cam. Yeah, I'll go Cam. I would say that's under the impression that Cam like gets his feet under him right now. Like not this version of Cam. Like he's had 60 more games to figure out NBA defense a bit. But if, if that's not the case, then I'd, I'd start Mikel. Oh boy. I would, I mean, sorry, David, cl- uh, cover your ears. I would not start Mikel. He airballs three pointers. So I would not start Mikel in a game seven of a playoff series. Uh, I like Mikel. I hope Mikel stops doing that, but yeah, no, um, man, that's really hard. I mean, obviously Aiton, uh, Booker, I'd probably start Booker. Um, Oubre, Man, I think I probably Sarich just because I trust him the most of the rest. And then, mm-hmm. listen, I, I haven't seen him play a single NBA regular season game, but based on what I saw from him early on, and he also has championship experience, <laughs> uh, I think it's Ty Garome, your 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 guy, David. Uh, your your pronunciation for this. You know who this speaks the worst of by far? By the way, this is supposed to be Tyler Johnson. Like this is this is the Tyler Johnson situation, and it's just yeah. It, I my. My quick 30 seconds on him is that I think it's a D'Anthony Melton thing all over again. His role is just consistently changing so much. How can you expect him to get comfortable? And that just, that was always my stance on Melton. I couldn't believe how good he was given how much he was thrown all over the place and blah, blah, blah. They're professional athletes. But this guy comes into the year finally thinking he's going to be able to go back to what he's good at, which is coming off as the two guard and then playing some one in between when he's on the court. And now he's like starting a point guard again. <laughs> it's just like ridiculous. The poor guy. I know David agrees with that. <laughs> you are preaching to the choir on that one. And I think, you know, the, the Pelicans game uh, where he was throwing it in a point guard is exactly what I'm talking about here is I think the temptation for the coaching staff short term is to start him at point guard when Rubio's out. I think, you know, what I wanted to illustrate is you're probably going with point book if the game is on the line in a in a winner take all kind of series here, Max, but this is the balancing act. And, you know, this ties in uh, with, you know, potentially people listening to this pod uh, with the Suns losing two more against Minnesota and Denver by the time they get to it um, and Rubio and Baines potentially being out for both of those. But, you know, there's a bit of a, a marathon to play here. And I think as much as it may suck to go on a bit of a losing streak, uh, you got to protect your guys. It's probably not the right time to be, you know, doing something crazy like Point Booker right now just to break the skid. And uh, yeah, hopefully they can get the guys back and, and things are on the up and up. But yeah, just wanted to illustrate that it is it is tough for the coaching staff to pull the strings under these current situations when they've got another 70-odd games to think about and hopefully playoffs, as we said. And there's also something else here, and we're going to move on to our last part of this segment um, where we talk about sort of how we're concerned about the overall lack of depth this may have exposed. Mm -hmm. For me, and I'll I'll just start with this one, uh, I'm not concerned at all about that. I'm basically at a zero. They're just, they are missing so many key guys 
And I'm actually, after the New Orleans game, I think the New Orleans game is sort of, I, I, I put it in a separate category than I put the Boston and Sacramento games in. Mm-hmm. It was just better. They, they had more guys step up. It just, they had a better effort. The, the New Orleans Pelicans made every shot. I mean, they made every shot. J.J. Redick was unconscious. Brandon Ingram was unconscious. You're not going to beat a team when they shoot that well very often. It's, it's rare. I'd like to see what the overall league percentage wins is when you go against a team shooting 50% from three. I'm guessing it's pretty low. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I actually was pretty encouraged after that game. Um, so I guess I'll just start there. I'm, I'm super not concerned about the depth going forward. Uh, Calvin, we'll go to you. How concerned are you about this team's overall depth? Yeah, it's zero. Same with you. I think that Frank was was so helpful in his role before mm-hmm. that it's like it's completely reverting its course to oh man, it turns out he really does suck. I mean, yeah, but he just he sucks in that specific role. I think he's he's going to be passable, especially if he's hitting shots. Like, I, it would be really surprising if he couldn't shoot above thirty percent from three. Like that would be truly. I think he's going to get to like thirty four or thirty five, which means he's going to get hot here somewhere eventually. Um, he's the first guy that comes to mind, and I, I mean, God, he comes to mind when you've got four guys in front of him, probably. I mean, Mikel's played better than him this year, and that's that's the backup four spot, and then the three bigs already that we talked about. Yep. Um, and then at guard, I think Ty Jerome's going to help, but I also think that, again, no Rubio. is It's just so, so different for this team, and, and, and how about the other way where, like, hey, Cam looks like an NBA player already. Mikel is still really impacting the game despite yes. his catapult adding another three maneuvers to it for whatever reason. Um, that was a joke about a shot, by the way. I've been like toying with what to call it on Twitter. I, I don't know. I, I like the catapult. <laughs> oh, I heard it. Wait, no. Don't. Keep careful, Kelly. Uh, Eddie Johnson might be listening. Don't joke about it a shot. Oh, crap. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to upset EJ. That's my guy. Yeah. But in, no, I think I think the fact that those two wings and then Kelly is quietly playing the best basketball of his career again, I think it actually makes me just feel better about their depth. I wrote a story last week where it was like all three of these wings are kind of playing well except Mikel and now he's turned it around, but he hasn't figured out like them playing together. And I think that's something to actually be encouraged about is that Monty's eventually going to figure out how to play them together the best and, and who they fit with on the roster. And that's that goes back to Igor last year where you benefit so much from knowing who your guys are right away and then tinkering with them throughout the season. And that's what he's going to be able to do once they get a little bit mm-hmm. healthier. Not an Igor defense. That's not what I meant to bring up. It's just he's going to learn by, like, game six. You're like, okay, Cam and Kelly probably no, but Cam and Mikel, yes, or it's probably might be the opposite. Uh, we'll find out. But all three of them should play, and that's really good. Yep. David? I think he's already learning. Yeah. We've seen in the last couple of games, even though it's been through a little bit of necessity, I think – Cam and Mikel's chemistry is really, really good. I, I noted it the other night. I just think, I don't know, I, I know you talked about what the numbers currently say, Callum, but you know, two very, very smart guys who know their games and, and work well uh, in tandem with each other. Kel, Kelly's a, a little bit more of a uh, wild Brumby who kind of does his own thing and, and is harder to kind of work out who he works well with other than guys like Rubio feeding him the ball. But yeah, I think we're going to see those three a lot which is what I, again, was alluding to before with guys like Frank losing their minutes. But yeah, I'm not too concerned about this pretty much for the same reasons that you guys talked about. I think we've been extremely unlucky. Uh, We're already the youngest team in the whole NBA at 24 and a half years of age, I think. And then uh, Aiton, which, you know, brings that age 
down a little bit went out or goes up a little bit in his absence, I should say. But then Baines and Rubio, you know, your two vets in the locker room, on the floor, kind of, we knew it pre-season and then we saw it in the first 10 games. Like they were the, the guys that were driving this and uh, bringing everything together. So to kind of lose those three guys exposes parts of the roster that uh, most teams wouldn't get exposed even through the whole course of 82 games, I don't think. You know, we were just talking about Diallo potentially starting a game and he was always going to be a guy that you really, you know, just brought on in case of emergency or foul trouble. And now all of a sudden he's out there maybe starting a game uh, in the next couple of days. Uh, Frank playing way more minutes than you would expect uh, if he's not shooting well. Um, and, you know, guys like Okobo and stuff are going to have to step up as well. I tweeted last night during the game, I hope they could have won it, but I think these kind of patches do, um, you know, bring the team together and, and uh, you know, do set the culture a little bit. So the, the adversity is good as long as it doesn't go for long, long stretches, which, again, takes me back to thinking about last year. I think there's elements of what we've seen in the last few days uh, is pretty similar to what we saw essentially all last year. And, and Callan, your point's a great one, that you want to just be able to count on the guys you can count on and then tinker with it as you go. And uh, getting this many curveballs has really thrown Monty uh, a few challenges, but we'll hopefully get through it. And uh, I'm not too concerned. If anything, uh, it may mean good things for the end of the rotation and the overall depth max that these guys have kind of been exposed a little bit and been able to uh, play the system in important minutes early on in the season. Yeah, I think it's absolutely right. It's nice that, you know, if we have to put in a Kobo and, we, you know, we have our full team back, we kind of trust them a little bit. That's going to be yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, I want to focus on two quick things. I want to ask you guys a question about uh, one thing in a second. But first I'll just say, we heard of this early, David, on the podcast – when things were good, like all the lineups just kind of had a purpose. They had a goal. You could tell they were all like, you know, kind of lasered in on the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of fallen off a little bit just because the personnel hasn't been there. And I think that, you know, once everyone's back, that's going to be a thing again. That's, there's no reason why that'll be gone. And I just, I want Suns fans not to freak out too much about what we're seeing. Like they just don't have the personnel to, to do the whole pass and move and shoot offense thing. That they've been doing, and also the defensive, you know, as as Kellen pointed out earlier, that you know having the good help defenders on the floor to you know make up for the lack of athleticism or whatever, like they just haven't had the personnel to do what they were doing. So I think as soon as they get healthy, and you know the you know the, the big if they're being they get healthy at some point in the season because they do have a lot of players who you know have questionable health and uh, histories. Mm-hmm. I think that there's just not a whole lot of reason to be concerned about those last three games uh, from that perspective. But what I really want to focus on, I want to ask you guys about this because Cam Johnson deserves like a five-minute segment on this podcast. <laughs> He's been so freaking good, man. I think we're not used to like our you know later-ish rookies besides Aiton being good right away. But man, this dude can really, really, really shoot. And we focused on the other stuff, David, you and I, uh, especially you, uh, you pointed out early how he's like good at other stuff too. But man, can we just... Talk a little bit about how good of a shooter Cam Johnson is. Kellen, like, your firstborn baby, if any, if, if his his or her life is on the line and anybody on this roster has to make a three-pointer to save it, like, how much are you running to Cam Johnson to shoot that three-pointer for you? Uh, is DeAndre Aiden drug tested at that point or no? <laughs> <laughs> he is drug tested. Okay. Um, I had a – my my David Nash impression of, like, posting a couple of video clips of Cam doing specific – like shots there was the ones against the Lakers where he was half catch half already in his motion shooting over LeBron from like three feet away 
And then he had that one where he dribbled to the right elbow and then just kind of backed up his dribble and then shot it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he had, he's had a couple, including the assist from Book last night that I clipped, where mm-hmm. he'll like catch a ball as he's dropping back and kind of take a not really step back jumper, but he is stepping backwards. So I guess it's technically a step back jumper. Um, but he's he's like. We often think about shooters and be like, they can shoot on the move. That's when you know, and he's like, he can shoot anything. It's crazy. He is such a professional. And the mm-hmm. the Stepien piece on just his numbers from NBA range were really eye-popping in a way. And then and then you just watched him in, on these shots and you're like, well, I mean, I saw what happened with Mikel, so I won't get like ever 100% fooled again. But man, it would be really weird if this guy wasn't like a 38% guy right away. And it looks like he's going to be at least that, and maybe it might just be 40 plus. He's, it's, I haven't felt as confident with a guy shooting threes since I watched like Devin Booker miss so many the past three. Because um, I just think whenever Booker shoots, it's going to go in. And I think Cam has kind of joined that group for me. He's been awesome. And how, how perfect is he for what Monty does? I mean, I, that's why they drafted him 11 and now we all look really stupid because he's literally perfect for exactly the way they want to play but all the extra passes like just the smart stuff he does it's it was a really great job by them picking him even if his defense sucks and like look like he had like a heavy closeout on each one more last night and got blown by and it's like that's just like the stuff that's going to happen with him but even if the defense isn't that great he's still going to be pretty good and like worth that pick i think and real quick before you jump in david his defense has been not great, but for a rookie, it's not terrible in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. David, go ahead. I'm still taking Aaron Baines for that shot for my uh, firstborn's life. <laughs> you max. have to, you're Australian. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I just doubled down on what Callan said and probably through a video that uh, he just talked about that he posted earlier today, the uh, cross-court double-team pass uh, from Devin Booker. It's all footwork when you watch Cam. Like This is a guy who's been shooting that way his whole life, and he understands where he needs to get himself. That step back element to, to what Kellen's saying, it's like, you know, he almost stepped back before he'd received the pass last night, A, to get make sure he uh, got behind the three-point line and, and B, to get his feet underneath him. And it's just those little things with a shooter like that where you kind of notice he's not taking the pass and then having to set himself. He kind of has all the little um, elements done in a row to perfection and then all he's got to do is you know pull the trigger and let it go and that one in particular barely even touched net on the way down and that's when you know you've got just a ridiculous shooter on your hands I think the only shot he missed last night or two one he got fouled on uh, and the other one was that backbreaker when they went with that mm. uh, funky lineup that you just hoped went down because that was the the reward you wanted Monty to have for having the guts for for going with that lineup but you know these last three games he's shooting 45% on 6.7 attempts and that's only in 23 minutes that he played in the last three games so he's going to get them up a lot of them are going to go in max and uh you know i've talked about it all the time those little things the defense and stuff i think i've seen people calling him solid which i think is maybe a little bit of an overreaction he does still make some pretty bad mistakes on the defensive end but you know i I feel like I talk about it probably too much, Max, but having that NBA-ready skill and getting himself on the court, even as an older 23-year-old rookie, that's the only way he's going to improve these other things, improve the confidence on drives, the playmaking, the defense, is to be out there uh, and contribute positively the way that he can and, and hope the other things come along slowly along the way. That's the development that this... Uh, regime of the Suns is going with and you know how nice is it as Callan said that 
your front office and your coach are kind of all in lockstep and, and taking guys that uh, are going to help their system. It, it's pretty nice to see. Yeah, let's go with solid for a rookie. How about that? Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, so there are shooters who are catch-and-shoot shooters, right? And there are shooters off movement. And then I think there's like a elite class of shooters who are shooters off anything or shooters whenever the hell. Mm-hmm. It seems like Cam Johnson is that. It doesn't matter. He can shoot no matter what. It doesn't matter what situation you put him in. He can just throw up a shot, and it's probably going to go in. I've been over the moon with Cam Johnson. I will say that you know, if I had my redo at number 11, I'm still taking Brandon Clark because if you haven't seen Brandon Clark, go look at his numbers. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I can't be upset about the Cam Johnson pick. I'd take him over almost everybody drafted in that range, maybe besides Tyler Hero and uh, Brandon Clark later. So. No, it's it's a giant coup for the Suns. He's going to be in the NBA for ten years with the way he shoots. Uh, it's just it's all great. Uh, anything else on this, guys, or should we move to our seven seconds or less leaderboard? I'm all good. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to move to that. I would I would just say we've we've mentioned the the wings a lot. Uh, Monty's going to ride the hot hand. You know, I think they'll they'll go with whatever combos are working here. And uh, if Cam's shooting well, he's going to play more than the 18 minutes a night that he's averaged for the season, I think, Max. Yeah, I would think so. I would not be surprised. Um, all right, seven seconds on the leaderboard. You all know, if you listen, what this means. We rank the five best players for the week uh, each week. It's a weird week this week because it hasn't been a very good week for the Suns. But uh, it actually was kind of fun to put together, I thought, because it made you think a little harder. Uh, Kellen, you're the guest. How about you start with who you gave your best ranking to, the five-star player. Who is the best Suns player? Of the past three games, uh, Armani, Mr. Bookman, <laughs> yep. number one. Mm-hmm. David, no arguments here. Surprising for me was that he still shot 51, 43, 93 this week. So he is not dipping just yet on those ridiculous percentages, Max. So uh, still five votes for me, even though we lost every game. He was clearly the best player. Yeah, and maybe even a lesser week than he's had in past weeks, but it doesn't matter. He was still the best player on the Suns this week. Kellen, how about number four, the four-star player? I had Ubre here. I think that this is where I'll add a little bit of stuff. There were moments in the Sacramento game, especially where someone needed to do something, and he was like, I, I'll take a two-dribble pull-up. I don't give a shit. Like, I'm Kelly Oubre. <laughs> and they, you just need those types of guys when you have this really young, inexperienced, out-of-their-depth, kind of literally and figuratively, team going on. And I, I really liked that. And then in the New Orleans game, there was a huge, like, stretch where he scored two buckets at the rim right away uh, in the fourth quarter where things kind of seemed like they were getting out of hand. And they could have won that game because of that little stretch by him. That was, like, kind of a Tyler Johnson kind of run. And I don't know. I just think he's been one of the best leaders on the team, and he's he's just playing consistently well, even even in the tunnel vision stuff. Which again, like, yes, it's tunnel vision because that that's like Czech Diallo and Frank Kaminsky over there. Like he's it's it's okay. I I, I have him there, David. Uh, Ubre for me, twenty points per game, and if you look at the next best over the three week uh, the three games I should say uh, it was 13 points per game so uh, not ideal to be losing all three and Kelly being uh, your second guy but it could have been pretty miserable uh, if Kelly didn't step up and play the way he did this week Max I had the same guy at four Kelly Oubre and literally echo both your thoughts Kellen number three Mikel Bridges I'm doing you I'm doing it uh, it, I think it just speaks to, yeah, the lack of contributions after that, but it, it's, uh, he's three for me. David. Yep. I, uh, tweeted during the Pelicans game that I had five votes for anyone that could step up and, and win that game for the Suns. 
uh, because that's what it would have been this week. If we could get a win, you'd probably deserve yourself five votes. But the next three are all pretty uh, weird. I didn't go Mikel. I went Cam. Max played 23 minutes a night, and as I said before, 45% from three. Uh, Pretty impressive. Not sure how many weeks he'll be getting this high up in the votes or what it means for the Suns if he is. Uh, But this week, I thought he thoroughly deserved the three votes. I went back and forth between Mikel and Cam. Back and forth. Eventually ended on Mikel, actually. I'm with Kellen. It was surprising. You're like the Mikel guy in this podcast right now, David. Uh, I just thought Mikel was consistently, you know, his impact in the games. I thought all three was was very good. Um, I didn't like him airballing a (laughs) three-pointer. It was a pass. It was Um, a pass. I also didn't like... I also also didn't like his ugly three-pointer. Uh, in the in the uh, in I think it was the Boston game actually when Eddie Johnson got mad at me on Twitter I didn't like that <laughs> but uh, overall I thought he was more impactful than Cam I'll go ahead and spoil it Cam's too I thought uh, you know I already talked about Cam so that's good Kellen who's your two uh, I have a Kobo just because of how badly they needed competent point guard minutes and he looked the best he's ever looked in his career nearly got them the Sacramento game almost somehow and then the Pelicans game I think he had the highest plus minus in both of those games for either team. Uh, so maybe he should be a little bit higher, but uh, since it was only like a game and a half really from him, I got him down there. David. Max, if I told you for the week, Mikhail scored 12.7 points per game, only shot 16.7% from three, <laughs> what would you say his overall field goal for the week was? Oh, God. I'm not surprised by the 16% from three. Uh, I don't know. 40? He shot 60% from the field Woo! this week. Uh, mostly on back cuts and stuff, but nice to see him get involved, even with the three not coming along. Uh, and he was my two votes, uh, and I threw Ali in for one. Uh, echo what Callan said, uh, 28% from the field this week wasn't great, but his 5.3 assist to one turnover ratio was very, very good for the week, and they needed it. I also have a Kobo with the one star. Uh, echo you both your thoughts. He was awesome, very different than he's been in his whole career so far, Kellen, who's your one? Uh, it's Cam. I, this Mikel thing is freaking me out because I'm looking at the same numbers. So his true shooting percentage this week was 73, and that's because Whoa. he was a perfect 13 of 13 from the free throw line as well. Ew. So he shot insane on his twos, didn't miss a free throw, and missed a lot of threes, but still his, his numbers were insane. That's, that's crazy. Uh, Cam for me because all the reasons you guys said. I'm telling you guys, if the three can come just to 35%, we've got a player. No, I, I totally agree, David, but the fact is that I watched Mikel shoot three-pointers, and it's it's a disaster right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, is Lord of the Rings on right now? Am I right? The catapult? Trying to make that work. Okay. <laughs> you know, it is the catapult. In fact, that's what I called it, Teddy Johnson. This is the last time I mentioned this, uh, and uh, he yelled at me. Just quickly before, did you know, I'll just uh, remind people that we want what, uh, week five votes for Boston, Sacramento, and New Orleans, even if you're listening to this after a couple more games. Uh, and Booker leads by a very, very wide margin before Baines, Rubio, Ubre, Frank, and Saric kind of round out the top guys there. But maybe that'll change around a little bit. All right, uh, David, did you know? Let's do that. Max, you just mentioned it that you wouldn't mention him again, but I'm putting you on the spot here in <laughs> Did You Know this week. The rhetorical question is, did you know Eddie Johnson didn't score a billion points in the NBA, Max? Uh, that's the thing about this, David. I complimented him. I said he scored a billion points. I couldn't let this episode pass without a reference to your interaction with Eddie Johnson during the week. 
Eddie Johnson, of course, an ex-Phoenix Sun on the court in the late 80s, early 90s, and current Phoenix Suns broadcaster off the court and on the TV. Now, to refresh your memory and fill in any listeners who missed it on Twitter, you tweeted after a Mikhail Bridges 3 attempt, as you said before, where Eddie was rather nice about his shot. I won't make you repeat it, but I believe the tweet read, Eddie Johnson scored a billion points in the NBA and somehow complimented Mikhail's form on that last three uh, what <laughs> Max can you recall what Mr. Jumpshot said in return to you oh god no actually I don't remember what that tweet was I, I, I remember the later one when he when he said I should start playing more video games and wishing I was him <laughs> but I don't remember the one after that oh my god I'm reading this for the first time right now and oh, I are you aghast <laughs> this is amazing <laughs> To refresh your memory, Max, you said, I actually was referring to that particular stroke, but how can you expect to enter my world of thought? Ring the bell if you want to enter, brah. I guess I rang the bell slightly. First real test of the segment for uh, either of you now. I want to take a stab at how many points Eddie did actually score in his career and also for the Phoenix Suns. I'll give you a clue. Zero points. I'll give you a clue. Johnson played a staggering 17 years in the NBA with a one-year hiatus in Greece at age 35 and didn't retire until age 39. He gave the Suns four years of his prime from 28 to 31. Any guesses? 17,000 points. Kellen? Uh, I don't have a guess. I just need to say, Max, you should have had better form at the end. When he said, go play with your video game and wish you were me, you would say, well, you obviously love being you because you searched your name in order to tweet at me, so leave me alone. Ooh. That's, that's where you need to fire that. Well, in. here's the thing, Kellen, and, and, and multiple, multiple people said that, Kellen. I would love to say that, but someone actually tagged him in a reply. Oh. It was, well, we, we call that a tag reply. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I hate when people do that. Oh, it's so – people try and do that with, like, players. Like, I – talked bad about javon carter and someone tagged his mom like, she's gonna she's gonna search it anyway you don't need to uh tag, tag. javon carter's mom guys uh, and, and just just to get my my nate duncan on ban snitch tagging please. yes it's, please it's preposterous yeah anyway guys the answer is 19,202 points in the nba and 4,081 for the suns good enough for 53rd in the record big books and 29th for the Suns respectively. But a little more on Eddie Johnson's career with a focus on his time in the Valley. He came to Phoenix via a trade for Ed Pinckney in 1988 and left again via a trade for Xavier McDaniel in 1990. Phoenix got lucky with maybe all of Eddie's best years in the NBA, highlighted by a six man of the year award in 88, 89, where he averaged 21.5 points, 4.4 boards and 2.5 assists on 49.7% shooting from the floor and 41.3% on 2.5 attempts from downtown. Phoenix also got his career high, a 45 point effort in a loss to the Clippers and his playoff high to 35 points in what was a loss to the Golden State Warriors. But Max, I am hoping you might be game for a little game I have, which I'm coining Mr. Jump Shot or Broken Jump Shot. I'm going to read you out a fact <laughs> of some description, and I want either of you to tell me if it's about Eddie Johnson or Mikhail Bridges. Are you ready? Oh my God, sure. What's up? Ready. All right, first up, I was born, played high school, and also college, all in the same city. Mikhail. Yeah, Mikhail. 
Well, you could say I hit you with a trick question first up, but I'd prefer to state that I gave you a guaranteed win straight off the bat. That's, in fact, both Mr. and Broken Jump Shot. Mm. Eddie Johnson was born in Chicago, played high school in Chicago, and went to college at Illinois, while Mikael Bridges took it one step further by being drafted by Philadelphia after doing all the same things as Eddie earlier. On to the next question now. I played 116 college games before getting drafted, averaging 17.7 points in my final year on 51.4% shooting from the field. Max? I'll say Mikael. Callan? I think that's Eddie. It is Mikael Bridges. But Uh. interestingly, Callan, Eddie played just five more games at 121, despite playing four years to Mikael's three, and he averaged a very similar 17.2 points on 49 0.4% shooting, so pretty close. I said Mikel because it was over 50%, and Eddie can't shoot over 50%. <laughs> Question number three. At age 22, I made my NBA debut, and in my rookie season, averaged 9.3 points, 4.4 boards, and 1.5 assists. Callan, you first. It's really tricking me to say Mikel, so I'm going to say Eddie. I'll say Eddie. That one is Eddie Johnson. Mikel also debuted at 22 and was pretty close at 8.3, 3.2, and 2.1, respectively. And final question now, guys, and one with a slightly different choice than the three previous. Mikel had his career-high 20 points the other night versus Sacramento in his second season. If I gave you a choice to say which was higher, would you go with broken jump shots, game-high 20, or Mr. Jump Shot's second full season points per game average in the NBA? Oh, man. I go with Eddie's point per game. I think his points per game. I think he was like a 20-plus guy, like, instantly. I remember looking that up for the story I did. Yeah, Eddie. Tricked you both. The answer is Mikhail, mm. but only just. Eddie Johnson jumped up to 19.8 points per game in his second season. Oh, boo. <laughs> after just nine Point three the year before. Finally, on episode 69 here, Max, I'll leave you with the fun fact about jersey numbers, which you know I love. The number 69 has never been worn by an NBA player in an NBA game, but it's not alone. The others are 58, 59, 64, 74, 75, 82, 87, and 97. That's eight more numbers. And eight was, of course, the number Eddie Johnson made famous 25 is the number Mikhail Bridges is trying to make famous, which coincidentally is the same amount of games DeAndre Ayton was suspended for. (laughs) And as we are about to discuss, there are just 12 of those games to go. So shall we get stuck into the last part of the episode now around the West Bubble teams and Ayton's return, Max? Let's do it. That is definitely the most uh, emotional and engaged you've gotten me into one of these before, David. That was fun. <laughs> uh, I was just real quick before we go on. I'll say I do like Eddie Johnson as an announcer. I think he's fun. I enjoy him. He's definitely old player guy for sure, but he's enjoyable. I like his commentary, so I'll just say that. Much better than Reggie Miller saying "Wow" fifty-eight times on the Pelicans broadcast last night, Max. dude. Reggie Miller and uh, Chris Webber are. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> They're so bad. All right, let's go on. Uh, we're talking about the West playoff race again. Uh, the reason why we're talking about it again is because things have changed massively since we last talked about it. Uh, Dallas is now sixth in the West at nine and five. Minnesota is seventh at eight and seven. 
Uh, what do we got? Phoenix is now eight at seven and seven. Sacramento has gone up without De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley to six and seven. Mm-hmm. The Pelicans, who we had out, David, we had them out, but you know we kind of said they might come back. They're now they're now tenth at six and nine. We have the Spurs and the Portland Trailblazers, who are the other teams we said were in the mix at thirteenth and fourteenth, five and ten, and five eleven, respectively. Uh, let's start with Kellen. Kellen. We had the Lakers, Nuggets, Rockets, Clippers, and Jazz as like definite, solid playoff teams are definitely in. Do you disagree with any of those, and would you add anybody to that? Do not disagree. I need three more weeks of Luka playing like this, and then I'll add Dallas. But for now, just like need to wait just a little bit longer. But, I mean, the form he's playing at right now is just about there. Don't care if he's playing with their janitors. <laughs> and we had the Warriors, the Thunder, the Grizzlies, and OKC as the teams are definitely not in. Uh, wait, there's one more, David, like the Pelicans, right? Yes. We were definitely wrong about the Pelicans. Uh, Kellen, were we wrong about anybody else in that list? Need to hold on the Thunder because um, point God, a movable contract slash maybe like redemption year for him. I've I've been a point God stand for a really long time. I, I don't know how apparent that is on Twitter, but I think he's just like one of my he's been one of my favorite players for a long time. Like if if he can just find like just like eighty percent of his form from like a year ago, like that would be immense help. And I Shay. Adams, Gallo, like it's enough to like make a run in a really mucky sort of 38 to 43 win zone that it's going to be. So I mm-hmm. can't, I, I, again, a couple more weeks to rule out OKC. All right. So let's narrow this down a little bit and then we'll have David jump in. So we have our obvious contenders, the five we all agree on. It seems like, Kellen, you kind of think Dallas is in like its own tier by itself after those five. Is that right? I, I might put Minnesota there too, yeah. Okay, so uh, I was about to ask that. So what's the next tier? Let's go ahead and say Dallas and, and the T-Wolves, for sake of argument, are in that tier. Who is the next tier? Um, I, I think San Antonio is in there out of just respect. Whoa. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm extremely worried, and here are two reasons why. If you guys had to guess how many shots per game DeJounte Murray has taken in November, how many would you guess? Uh, I have no idea. Ten? David? Ooh. I'm going to say it's less than their current losing streak of seven in a row. 8.4 shots a game for DeJounte Whoa. Murray, which is just like, I watch him, and every time I flick on Sacramento, or Sacramento, San Antonio, this is kind of like the Nate Duncan, Danny LaRue disease of like watching too many games at once, where you watch DeJounte, and you're like, oh, DeJounte's like really good, but then you look at the numbers, and you watch the games all the way, and then you're like, I mean, he only had 12 points or whatever. He was just making really good plays all over the place, and I just think him not impacting games and the fact that Greg Popovich had to go out and call out Lonnie Walker and say he's horrible and say he just looked like he wasn't plucked into the game. And they're 2-9 and nine since. They've only beaten, I believe it's Golden State and Oklahoma City since. Mm-hmm. So they're 2-9. and nine. They've only beat two bad teams. And it's all because Pop called out my boy Lonnie Walker, who's just trying his hardest. And Pop needs to stop calling him out in the media <laughs> or it's going to keep happening. <laughs> really bad things are going to keep happening to him. But... They are the Spurs, and as me and Rich were talking about on Twitter, until they are literally dead in the ground. Like, they could be 6-37, and 37, and I would not write <laughs> off a 39-game winning streak to end the year. Like, I am not going to do this until I'm going to keep picking them to make it until they don't. I made that mistake two years ago, and I was like, Pau Gasol, Marcus Aldridge, how do you play defense? And Greg Popovich is like, well, I, I have the best defense in the league now with those two somehow, so thank you. You're welcome. Um, 
No, just refuse. Every sign points towards their dead. I refuse. David, respond to that. (laughs) (laughs) I I think Kellen's right. I think as long as we keep doing this segment, uh, long may it continue and Phoenix be in the conversation. I think Portland currently at 5-11 and and San Antonio at 5-10, and as I said, on a seven-game losing streak at the moment. We're just not going to remove them, even if they're sitting right down the bottom of the West behind some of the teams that we've already removed. I think Callan's point on the Thunder is a a correct one. Uh, I think you and I have just always been operating under the assumption that a trade is going to get made at some point, which takes them out of the equation, but maybe that doesn't happen. But yeah, I mean, you've hit my first two questions here, Max. It's when do we remove Dallas from this bubble team? Uh, and when do we replace them with New Orleans? Because I think, uh, you know, Dallas at nine and five, all the signs in the West of being uh, on another level in terms of kind of the points per game they're putting up and their point differential, I think is only second to the Lakers at the moment in the West. So yeah, Callum probably hit the nail on the head there, you know, three more weeks and we can probably make that decision. Uh, And as I mentioned right up the top in the recap, the Pelicans are only, I think, one and a half games behind us now for that eighth seed. So we probably need to start uh, adding them to the equation. I'm not there with Minnesota though yet. I'm kind of calling them Phoenix's above the line team uh, with Sacramento being the below the line team now as kind of that mini group. Uh, but even if they did jump max, it's not the end of the world, you know, Dallas and Minnesota becoming locks. There's still one spot. Uh, and there is a, a pretty clear gap there. I think that Phoenix are going to be fighting uh, amongst themselves and a couple of other teams for, for maybe that last playoff spot. Yeah. I referred to this earlier in the episode about Minnesota. I actually view Minnesota as like the most comparable team to Phoenix in the entire conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're both kind of surprised teams. I kind of view our quality, you know, assuming Phoenix actually has its players uh, as similar. I think that those are the two favorites to be the seven and the eight seed in some order. Uh, I will say that Sacramento coming on without Fox and Bagley is a bit of a wrench that I did not expect. Yeah. I'm not really sure to even how to process that. Like, is that a good thing for Sacramento or is it a bad thing that, that Fox and Bagley seem to be worse for them? I don't know. Let's go to that. I actually think Sacramento is the most interesting team in the entire conference right now. Uh, Kellen, what's your read on Sacramento? Do you think Sacramento is a legitimate playoff threat? Like They had such a bad start, but are they going to be rejuvenated with, with Fox and Bagley coming back? Or is this kind of like a weird... Uh, you know, a weird little fluff thing they're doing without those It's guys. fluff. I think they suck. Um, I, I think that they... Anytime you have to dramatically reverse your um, identity as a team, like two weeks into the season, that's a really bad sign. Mm. Walden, even in the one game, uh, the ringer had the, the article about the Kings before they played them. And basically what it was was that the Kings went from playing super fast to super slow. And the fact that they have to feel like they have to do that now when they're, again, this is something where the front office builds a team a certain way. They probably built that team to play super fast. So the fact that they're changing that, the fact that they're playing better without their best players, I think that's something where it's actually it's bad because it doesn't mean it means things aren't gelling the right way with those guys when they're in, and it's not even a case of too many guys. I just think their their roster as a whole just doesn't fit together right now the way it needs to, and there's just too many things where I this is probably the most I've watched of other teams in a while. I've been watching like I've seen like two full games of, of each team, which is which is a lot in my opinion. Mm considering where we're at in the, in the season. And I, I think Sacramento 
has been one of the least impressive teams that, that I've watched. Even when I've watched them win, I, I just think that Buddy and Bogdan have had like unbelievable games for them where Sean's playing out of his mind, and I think that can continue to a certain extent, but they need that to be like where they're at right now. And I, I think they're super interesting, and I agree, but I think that they are they are probably the safest bet for me in terms of the group we potentially could you could have conceivably picked to make the playoffs like maybe New Orleans I guess with a fully healthy Zion but they're out of the picture now because of that I think Sacramento is probably the easiest team to eliminate and that's out of respect to like Portland and San Antonio again for past precedent I just checked the score Max because uh, I just you know I had this theory that Callum was essentially bouncing off there where you know they caught the luck that Phoenix couldn't with with Fox going out Bogdanovich and and Heald both caught fire in the patch that they really needed them to. Whereas if they didn't, they could be looking really, really bad right now. Uh, But they're currently down 70 to 84 to the Brooklyn Nets because Bogdan couldn't play in that game. So uh, the reverse, they've caught a little bit of the unluck that Phoenix have with, you know, a guy being out and then their backups to that guy uh, also having niggling injuries. And all of a sudden you get a little bit exposed like the Phoenix Suns have this week. So yeah, I think, you know, I'm still going to be talking about them as a competitor to Phoenix for a little while, but I think Kellen makes a lot of good points on that. Just back on Minnesota quickly, Max, if I told you Towns had the third most three-pointers made in the NBA and James Harden was number one, who would be number two? The second most three-pointers made, is it Luca? It is not. Kellen, do you have any idea? Uh, second most three-pointers made, is it Dame? It's Dame, right? I feel like I could give you a hundred more guesses. It is Devonte Graham. Whoa, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> That's, dude... What that's like the everyone talks about like this Siakam thing never happens. It's literally happening again. Like it's this is what's happening with this kid right now. I don't know if you guys have watched him. He's really good. This is oh, the, he's amazing. He's amazing. He's really really good. It's not a stats thing. He's awesome. I really liked him in college. Yeah, but yeah. how's that? You know, I was I was shocked that Towns was third to be honest, and then even more shocked that Graham was currently second. Not so much uh, that that James Harden, uh, much ahead of both of those two, I should say as well, is is topping the three pointers made. But not sure where else you want to bounce around with with this bubble conversation, Max. I think we've hit all the uh, key pointers on it. Maybe quickly touch on uh, what we've got left without DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, so let's let's do this. I'm gonna do this with both of you guys. Let's let's predict the records uh, for the last uh, however many games this is. I have it all listed. So we'll have you both do this. We'll we'll, we'll tally each game and we'll see where we think the Suns will be uh, on the eve of Aiton returning. Okay. Right. You guys ready? Yep. Yep. All right. So the first game is at Minnesota. Kellen. Loss. David. Loss. Back to back at Denver. Kellen. Loss. David. Loss. Home game against Washington on the following Wednesday. That's like you hope everyone's healthy. Couple days win. David. Yep. That's that's the bounce back win to to stop the streak. Couple days later, the Luka Doncic thing comes to town. Kellen. Uh, loss. I was actually going to mention this like briefly. Dallas's bench has been insane this year, and in this game right now, DeLon writes plus twenty in ten minutes. It's this weird thing where Rick Carlisle again, like Sorcerer, Unreal Coach, it, their second unit is really good. And I think even when the Suns are fully healthy, those types of teams are going to present issues for them. And I think that's Dallas. So that's why I'm predicting loss, not, not Luca. Leave me alone. <laughs> David. This is the kind of one that you'd want to see this Suns team try and pinch, but I'm going to say loss, Max. The game after is at the Charlotte Hornets and Devontae Graham. Kellen. Win. 
Win. At Orlando. Kellen. Win. They're really shorthanded right now, right? They're no no Busevich, no Gordon. Right now, yes. I'm not sure how far away this is or the injury timelines, but sure. Win, yes. David. Yeah, I, I'm going to hedge. Uh, you know, I kind of looked at this. I was going to say two of this three-game stretch. So I'll say loss, but yeah, with Vucevic going out, I really think the next two games against Mini and Denver and then another game, which is about to come up with Mini, are, are really the only ones in this group where you know, not having Aiton is a, is a real concern. But loss for that one, Max. Okay, at New Orleans, Kellen. Loss. David. I'm going to say win. Okay, this is a back... That, and then, oh, I should have said that's a back-to-back, David. You knew that? Yeah, I'm, again, I'm just going two of that three, Charlotte, Orlando, Pelicans. Got it. Kellen, at Houston. I want to say win, but I think because of Houston's defense, but one of the biggest issues for me with the Suns has been... Star guys looking super comfortable, and Houston has two of them. That's super scary. I'm going to say loss. David. Loss for me. Home for Minnesota. I think this is this is a win. I don't know why I say that. David. Yeah, it's this one or Dallas. I think they're pinching one of them at home. I'll go this one. Minnesota, win. Home Memphis. I think this is where they, like, they're starting to like kind of get in a groove again, and they're uh, hopefully like it's been enough time. They've been two weeks now relatively healthy, and this is like the Memphis game they had earlier in the year where I think they just roll them over and uh, – they're they're good against bad teams. It seems like this is a win for me, David. Yeah, get on get on a roll right before DeAndre Ayton gets inserted back in. Max, I'm I'm going a win out situation on these next three games. You're you're going to ask about. Okay, home San Antonio for you, Kellen. Assuming Greg Popovich does not apologize to Lonnie Walker, it is a win. <laughs> they already said a win. So the last one before Ayton returns is the first night of a back to back. Ayton returns at the Clippers on the second night back to back. The first night. Is at home against the Portland Trailblazers, Kellen. Going back to the star thing, I, this like I don't know why again a month out, but just feels like kind of a weird Dame just goes off game to me with the balance of the schedule and everything. I'm gonna go loss. Okay, so you have us going six and six, Kellen. David has us going seven and five. So both of you have us around the same amount, about five hundred. Do we think, and I'll start with you, Kellen, is that kind of what we need from this stretch, or do you think we need a little more to be in the playoff chase? I think that's fine. I, I've been saying since he got suspended, um, it, after two two or three games after he got suspended where it was clear, like, okay, they might be onto something here anyway with him out. They just need to go 500, and then they'll get on a roll with him. Uh, something I pointed out on, on Empire this week is that if you just if you have that schedule up, scroll down to the January 18th mark. That's game number 42 of the year at Boston. From then on, they play 22 of 29 games or against potential playoff teams. And that's a real snag in the schedule for them. And, and it's already hard in the West, obviously. But I think that they're going to need to really pick up ground in that month before that. So, like, in between when Aiden comes back and that month, that's when I hope they go on, like, a 9-2, and 8-3 type of stretch. And then they're playing good basketball in that form anyway against playoff teams. And it doesn't matter because, again, potential playoff teams, hey, they're 1-2. So that's okay. It's fine. David, that's your take kind of as well, right? Yeah, really great that Kellen mentioned it. You know, I've been saying for a while, I just hope they keep their head above 500. They might dip down a little bit here with these injuries and, and the back-to-back coming up. Um, but, you know, Aiton comes back at a great time. As I said before, Minnesota and Denver are probably the two only, you know, really big misses in terms of not having Aiton out on the court, particularly if Baines is out as well in that stretch. But then when he comes back, we've got... The Clippers, as you said, OKC, who have Steven Adams, Houston, Denver again, 
Golden State, which they can hopefully beat up on again. Sacramento, Portland, again, two really important games in terms of those bubble teams. And then the Lakers. So Aiton's coming back for a pretty important stretch before the Christmas New Year kind of break. And then, as Kellen just said, that January gets hard towards the end. But, you know, before the season even started, I had a... Uh, going on a little bit of a six or seven game winning streak at the start of January. I think they've got, you know, teams like the Knicks, Memphis, Sacramento, Orlando, Charlotte, Atlanta, and then the Knicks again in that little run. So, and most of those are at home, not away, even though they're against a lot of East teams. So they're going to have a chance if they can stay around 500 to really make another push if it's needed to, to you know, snag one of those seven or eight seeds. And then as Callan said, the, the schedule can get a little harder again. But, you know, I think they could have like a nine of 14 type month in January uh, with that winning streak, which would really uh, kind of set them up. So it all depends. You know, they might have slipped back a little bit from 500 and that'll get them back to 500. Uh, or if they can keep their head above water max, that might really give them the push to solidify a playoff spot with a run like that. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. The Obviously, the unpredictable factor where none of us can talk about is how the injury situation will go either way. Um, if they're super healthy, maybe they'll be better. If they're not healthy, maybe they'll be worse. So we can't even predict that. So, But yeah, generally, around 500, uh, I agree. So should we go to seven seconds or less, guys? Let's do it. Sure. Seven seconds or less is the segment where one of us asks the other and the guests three questions for which the others have not prepared and only have seven seconds or less to answer. It's my turn to ask the questions. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Yes. I have some would you rathers for you guys. They all involve trading away some of the sun's most prized possessions. Mm -hmm. Are you guys ready for that? Let's, let's, Let's see what you guys think about these players. First, a star forward is available. Assume for the purposes of this question that he's worth trading for, for either of these players. We'll start with David. David, would you rather include Cam Johnson or Mikel Bridges in the trade for this star forward? <laughs> I hate you, Max. <laughs> uh, I don't want to overreact to small sample size too much, but there's, as we said before, clearly a reason they went out and got Cam, uh, and I think you would have to consider keeping Cam in that scenario. Callum. I am putting Mikel in his catapult and launching him away. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I agree. Wow, we're all trading Mikel Bridges over Cam Johnson. Imagine telling us that before the draft. Just like too much PTSD (laughs) with the other young guys, man. I just like gotta get something. Yep. Second, that same star forward is available, but also a star point guard is available. Assume they're about the same quality of player, about the same age, the star forward and star point guard. Would you rather trade Ubre for the star forward or Rubio for the star guard, David? I steal Callan's catapult very, very quickly and send Kelly Ubre Jr. out of Phoenix. Callan. Whoa, uh, I send Rubio because like the whole Luca argument has kind of been making me think like these Booker traps still are happening with Rubio and it ends with Rubio shooting a corner three and I'm like, no. So I I'd enjoy that being a point guard who can. Do a little bit more offensively, even if I love Ricky. When I wrote this question, I kind of felt like a dick because it's almost impossible to analyze this without knowing what the player is going to be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think I side with. Uh, I think I side with David on this one. I'm a little worried about Uber's decision making. I love him. I'm a little worried about him. Finally, last question, and no fake people this time. Would you rather trade Monty Williams for Greg Popovich 
on the condition that Popovich can't retire and actually wants to coach us for 10 years. <laughs> or DeAndre Ayton for Joel Embiid. David. Oh, that is so tough. Do I get the same guarantee with Joel playing for 10 years? Joel Embiid will be reasonably healthy for his career. You're trying to get me yelled at, by the way. <laughs> uh, but I very much side in all of these conversations that players are far more important than coaches. So I am going... Joel Embiid is a Phoenix Sun. My dog barking was uh, all of a sudden Twitter. Kellen. Uh, Embiid, I'm not even sure DA can like ever be a top 10, top 15 player in the league, and that's what Embiid has been for two, three years now, and he'll continue to be for three or four years if he's relatively healthy. So it's easy for me. I asked the question for a reason, guys. Stop doing the coach-player thing. It's stupid as hell. The NBA is a player's league. Stop it. It's done. Mm-hmm. It's not Bill Belichick. This is not the Patriots. Uh, that's it for us. Please, as always, rate, review, and subscribe. Follow me at, at MaximCZ11. Follow David at The Four Point Play. Kellen, plug whatever you want. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, man. Uh, at Kellen Olson on Twitter, and usually I don't have anything to plug, but I'm writing a feature on book that's going to come out next week, and it involves video games and such, and it's like the first thing that I've written about that isn't about basketball, and I'm actually really excited about it and like never am have been the type as you guys have seen on the timeline to just say, please retweet, please share, but I'm actually going to be like this about this story. So uh, if you like video games, don't like video games, whatever, I think it's going to be a really cool story and I'm really excited about it. Kellen, does Booker only care about his efficiency in video games? Does he camp and like not worry about like trying to help his team's efficiency stats? <laughs> no, he's a he's a monster. He's, he's, su- <laughs> he's really way better than me and I play a lot of video games. He's disgusting. He's probably better than most people at video games and everything else. David, anything else? Uh, just thank you to 1968 who reviewed love this podcast appreciate the hard work you put into it so that's always nice to hear max go read callan's articles all of them guys uh and just a reminder to send us your week five votes and we have minnesota denver and then washington as we've talked about a lot this podcast coming up this week which we will talk about next week max thanks everybody we love you all we'll be back next week hopefully with some sun's wins to talk about